doing a live on a Tuesday, Bo Bishop and Johnny Ginter. And um, we talked, you remember this, and we did a, a dubcast maybe in June or July, my friend, when I told the story about my little son and the possibility that Kyrie Irving didn't want to play in Cleveland anymore. Well, it, it's come <laughs> to fruition. <laughs> and my, my little son, Parker, my middle boy, who anytime the boys play Cavs, my oldest son, of course, is LeBron, and my middle son is Kyrie. And so um, it, we were actually sitting down watching, uh, I, we were watching the 11 Warriors report on Spectrum Sports, which aired tonight because I make them watch me on TV so they think I'm cool. And so... <laughs> I don't really, but they were, that's a shameless plug for the show. Um, but anyway, so he, uh, he, when I told him that Kyrie got traded, like he was emotional for about six seconds and then he was on to the next thing. So we've moved off it quickly. Um, but, but for those people who are of a certain age, this is uh, when something like this happens and, and most of our audience who is fans of Ohio state are probably Cavs fans too. I would think more than half. And, um, and it, it is a reminder. And I always like to bring it up to remind the fans that, uh, this is why I Ohio State is so beloved because um, you can't trade JT Barrett, and he and even if they do, the guy coming in next has got his back. So they always they're, they're always there for you, and it's something that I think is um, maybe not talked about enough when you think about the love that the school that the fans have for the program is the consistency of winning that's been there for a hundred and some years, and the type of thing like what happened today. And I, I actually think Boston. I think the Cavs did a pretty good job of getting a lot from Boston in this deal. Um, but Kyrie was a cornerstone and he was a face, one of the faces in this city. There's billboards with him downtown all over. Um, and and that, that all has to come down. If you're a little kid in Cleveland that remembers before LeBron came back, you hung your hat on Kyrie. There's a ton of Kyrie Irving jerseys running around Northeast Ohio, and those are all going to go away. Um, and in the meantime, if you you buy a scarlet and gray jersey, it's going to it's going to take care of you for, for what seems like your entire life. And that's the big difference with Ohio State. I just think it's, it's kind of remarkable that your, your son was in that meeting between Kyrie and Dan Gilbert and already knew this was going to happen yeah. like back he in knew. the summer. That's kind of impressive. Yeah, he, knew. he has got a lot of well, clout. Listen, I'm, I'm not raising amateurs up here. Ginter. You understand <laughs> me? Like these kids, we have high yeah. expectations. I mean, Apple I expect a three-year-old to be in front of office. Yeah, that that's right. Uh, yeah. You're, you're, I think you're dead on about that. And I think, you know, You'll never hear, and that's why you'll never hear a lot of college players talk about their teams in the same way, mm-hmm. or even when they graduate, even when they've been out for years. I mean, look at yeah. you know the Texas you know quarterback. We got guys coming talking about taking five hundred dollar handshakes or one hundred dollar handshakes, yep. and the fan base wants to murder them for talking yeah. about that seventeen years after the fact. Uh, I that is such a cultural difference between professional and uh, yeah. college sports, and I you know they've got all these captains that are named and I'm looking at the, the tweet that Ohio state football sent out and they've got like their signatures down there. And it's, it is such <laughs> a different setup and it's, yeah. I don't know. It's kind of a cool thing because it is exciting to see guys get traded, but you know, I, college sports is it's kind of own thing in that way. And um, unless you're a fan of both, I think sometimes it's hard to see that, but this is definitely one of those moments. I mean, people are Kyrie's got all those posters in downtown Cleveland. Those are going to be gone in about They'll like, be gone tomorrow. Yeah, they're taking yeah. those down immediately. Yeah, and there's a giant. Yeah, they, well, they have a giant one right across from uh, Progressive Field. Yeah. Uh, it's a giant Sprite one of Kyrie. It's not as big as the LeBron one on the Sherwin-Williams building, obviously, but it's pretty big. And, um, yeah, you got to get over it quickly. And um, and then Ohio State's always there to take care of you. And speaking of Ohio State, we're, uh, we're a week from game week. 
um, as we start to inch into things here. And uh, it's all becoming very real. The ads are out. The uh, the previews for the uh, I got my SI preview last week. That's always like a big benchmark for me that it's coming quickly um, as I'm one of like 800 people in the country who still read Sports Illustrated. But I do. <laughs> and uh, JT was on the cover looking sharp. Um but the 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 other thing that proves how close it's getting is the naming of captains, and you alluded to this. And there are nine captains at Ohio State: J.T. Barrett, Paris Campbell, Jalen Holmes, Sam Hubbard, Tyquan Lewis, Terry McLaurin, Billy Price, Tracy Sprinkle, Chris Wardley. Now, what jumps out? Two things jump out to me right away. Number one, there are nine captains; four of them are on the defensive line, so yep. that's pretty uh, speaks to the depth. Four of them are on the defensive line, and none of them's last name is Bosa. So that that speaks to the amount of depth and talent on the Ohio State defensive line. Not that not that Bo, little Bosa should have been, but I mean, it just he's one of the best, and they're just so deep and so talented. So that James jumped out to me. The second thing was his two receivers. Um, I was shocked at Paris Campbell and Terry McLaurin both. Frankly, um, I didn't know that either one would would was the type of player that warranted being a captain. At, that's a big deal. I mean, being a right. captain at Ohio State, I mean, now Urban's watered it down because he names so many uh, year in and year out. But, I mean, to have nine this year waters it down. You know, typically there were three. But I, the, I'm shocked that me, both those guys are on there. Yeah, let me ask you this. What do you think the strategy yeah. is behind having nine? Because I honestly, I can't wrap my head around it. Like, I, I know a lot of different management mm-hmm. techniques and stuff like that, but I don't, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what purpose well, that I think. I think everything with Urban comes back to recruiting. Yeah. So it must be something with recruiting. Um, I mean, there's a ton, there's a ton of juice with comes with being a captain at Ohio State. I mean, like the captain's dinner that they do every fall. I mean, that that's a pretty close knit group that stays together. It's really well organized in Columbus. And if you're a captain at Ohio State, it's something that can help you the rest of your life. And you know, maybe he feels like, you know, that's something he can sell in recruiting. Um, it waters it. I don't like it. I don't love it. It's fine. Um, you know, to me, I think three or four is more appropriate. Um, I mean, to have four defensive linemen captains is crazy to me, right? Yeah, that's silly. I mean, that's as much as the two receivers. Um, those two things both, I think, are a little silly. I think you could have gone with, you know, this is talking from two guys who aren't around the team every day. But to me, you could go Warley, Price, Barrett, and you want to go Jalen Holmes or Tyquan Lewis, either one. I mean, I think that could have been it. You know, those four guys would have been, or Sprinkle. I mean. One defensive lineman, JT Barrett, Billy Price, and Chris Worley, to me, would have got it done. Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, if you're going to just ask me to spitball captains and I would pick three, it would have been Barrett, Price, and Worley. That's what I would have said. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, some people are saying if you want to go nine, like have one captain, one guy from each unit. But you're right. Having four on the DL, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what really yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Again, like I'm trying Something. to figure it out. Like I'm trying to like game plan this thing in my head. I'm like, how does he... What does he do? What's the angle? And I, I don't even, you know, when you need a captain, you need a guy to like get your team pumped up. I mean, you, we know JT Barrett's that guy. He's an emotional guy in the locker room. Outside locker yeah. room, he's very stoic, and you know, he's he's not a guy who shows a lot of emotion. But inside the locker room, we know by now that he is the guy who gets people fired up for a game. Yeah, obviously, as the quarterback, and he's been there for so long. He's going to be a huge focal point of that. Billy Price. I mean, the obvious names are obvious for a reason because those are the mm-hmm. people you expect to show up. I don't know yeah. why you would include Paris Campbell or Terry McLaurin in that situation. But on the other hand, maybe he feels that that's a unit that needs shored up. I don't really know. So um, ultimately, like you said, I think this goes back to recruiting and some other stuff. I don't really know if this impacts the outcome 
of a game. Yeah, really. No, <laughs> you know? I can't. I can't. I'm spitballing on recruiting just because I know sure. that's Urban's whole lifeblood. You know, yeah. that everything he does is recruit, recruit, recruit. It's all about recruiting. So I'm just guessing that's what it is. I, I don't have a good answer for you, frankly. Maybe give, I mean, it's maybe to give these guys a leg up, you know, yeah. like after the season and say put that on their resume a little yeah. bit. Yeah, um, there's there's juice there. That there's worth there. Right. So th- yeah. that's what I got. But ultimately, I mean, you're you're still looking at a group of guys. I mean, the defensive line alone, I think that just does emphasize that Ohio State. I mean, that's clearly their best unit, and it may be you know the best singular unit of any unit in the country. Um, so that's pretty, that's pretty impressive. And it's cool to advertise that. Yeah. You know, especially when you get a cool graphics package and you got your <laughs> on there. I mean, that's, it's badass. Like, well, like yeah. They're organized. Yeah. They're organized. Uh, here's the thing that is a little tricky, I guess. And this is a get off my lawn one for me, but like, you know, there's only been 10 two time captains in school history and take one Taekwon Lewis and Billy Price are the ninth and 10th. Mm-hmm. So before Taekwon Lewis and Billy Price are only eight and one of them was JT Barrett. Right. Right. So before JT Barrett, Taekwon Lewis and Billy Price are only seven in 128 years of football. Okay. So now all of a sudden there's you've added three to that list. JT is the only three time captain. And some of that is a little bit it's a little off because you know, the reason he was the captain as a redshirt as a sophomore is because, you know, I felt like that was that was the year of obligation, right? Urban was obligated to give Cardale the start. He was obligated to get Braxton involved. He was obligated to get all these kids who came back all of their touches that was necessary. And he felt like JT Barrett needed something after naming Cardale Jones the starter. So he made him a captain, even though he wasn't the starter, which is just weird all the way around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can't imagine, you know, in retrospect, that JT Barrett was the captain of that football team. With Braxton Miller on that team, you know? Yeah. I mean, that he was like a, a captain, like a real captain, you know? I mean, he, right. maybe he was captain in name. But what that gets him is now he's the only three-time captain in the history of the program. It's pretty crazy. And next week when we talk about him and we try and we'll try to do this all year, we've talked about the season of JT Barrett, the referendum year. I mean, this is something he's going to start to. This is one of the many things that with a healthy season from JT Barrett, will by the time you're done with his career, you will look at his numbers and what he has accomplished and you will say, how is he not one of the three best players in the history of the program? And right now with an average JT Barrett season, there's not I bet you couldn't find five people in 100 that would say that. (laughs) <laughs> well i was about to, it's funny well i agree with you but those five people are definitely commenting on the 11 warriors uh forums and in comments. They're the five there's I, I, don't you think 95 would say that he's not i mean i yeah, don't think no. find five people who would say that he's one of the top five players in the history of the program but statistically honors everything that's been accomplished if yeah. you didn't i mean the hard part with jt is when you watch him play you rarely think he's the best player on the field Right. You rarely think he's the best player on his own offense, you know? So that's the tricky part of, of him and, and trying to analyze him. And yet I have an incredible appreciation for what he does. I mean, well, I he's, think a lot of it, you know? he's not, he's so different from what you've seen in the past. I mean, before him, you can go back, what, like five, six years, basically, before you found a quarterback that was not like a Terrell Pryor type or, you know, Braxton Miller. Like, right. When I think in the common imagination of Ohio State fans, they think of a guy who is just mind-bendingly athletically gifted. And yeah. JT Barrett is not that. He is, however, extremely consistent uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to his overall play. And, and while last year I don't think he completely lived up to the expectations that people had, I was looking at his stats for something I wrote last year, or excuse me, last week. And last year, uh, in every quarter, his – Passing percentage, completion percentage was like 60.2, 
61, 60.4, and then 60.6, like something like that. So in other words, he had almost no deviation from quarter to quarter to quarter. He was just good. And then he did all the other things very well. And he was, he had a very good season, but like that doesn't scream legendary to people. They want to see people doing spin moves and then doing all kinds of other crazy things and hurtling people and whatnot. And if you don't see that out of him on a regular basis, I think people tend to put him on, you know, the back burner a little bit and they look for the next big crazy thing, which isn't really fair to him, especially given how successful he has been statistically. Um, And really, I I think you're kind of hamstringing yourself a little bit when it comes to the season that's about to start because you're going to look, you're going to keep thinking like, oh, when's JT going to screw up? I'm like, no, man, like enjoy what you have. Yeah. Sure. Appreciate it for what it is. And don't worry about Haskins or Burrow and any of these other guys getting in and just enjoy JT being JT. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, again, I I am certainly not somebody who, I mean, I I fully appreciate him. I realize he'd start for probably 99% of the teams in the country. I mean, outside of USC, Oklahoma, uh, maybe UCLA. I mean, he'd start everywhere else. Yeah. There's there's maybe five teams teams in the country where he wouldn't start. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, five yeah. cents. I mean, he's got back. everything you'd want. Right. Oh yeah, he's got everything that you'd want. So it's just tricky because he's gonna. This is he, we will he will have a chance to be, you know, one of the most decorated. Well, he's already he's won the Chicago Silver Football Players Big Ten Conference Player of the Year twice already. Like he's he's already one of the most decorated players in Ohio State history, and yeah. he's going to be in the top. But I don't know that anybody is going to look back and go and go. God, I thank God I got to watch JT Barrett play. You know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just, not there's right. not that juice to it. So he that's why, to me, this season's so fascinating for him because it could go in a lot of directions. I mean, with a special year, he can all of a sudden he can vault and be the greatest quarterback in Ohio State history, both statistically and in the hearts and minds of Ohio State fans. Um, but if he has kind of a middle of the road, which for him is still which is still very, very good, but he set the bar so high. But if he has a middle of the road year, um, you know, he can kind of be this statistical wonder without really the the backing of, of the fan base and, and history, I would say it's a tricky spot. It really is. Yeah. And it's, it's all up to him because I mean, the, the season lays itself out for him to just basically decide his own fate when it comes to that. Yeah, I mean, he, like it's all there. It's all there. Like everything's laid out in front of him. There are the key games that he can just show up in and, and be dominant. There are other games where he can just be competent and good. But the point is, is that I don't think there's going to be a situation where he's going to be denied his opportunity to shine like this is we've said this over and over but this is his team Mm -hmm. and there's really i mean if you want to know how good a player is make him the focal point of the offense don't give him a curtis samuel or another out like say like this is it dude like you've got to be it there cardale jones isn't you know waiting on the sidelines hoping you screw up right so you got to take care of it um i don't know It's, it's an interesting dynamic and i think it'll be fine i don't think he you know, he's not a guy who seems like he cares too much about his legacy overall. It's never been something that I think I think he cares yeah. about he's, how he's perceived yeah. uh, by his own merits. But I don't think he really cares about his place overall in Ohio State history. He's so too he's young to be- care about it now. Yeah, I mean, that's something you care about 20 years from now. Exactly. You know, that, then it's something that'll that'll get into your mind. So, um, yeah, it's it's going to be good to see. And I, I just say this and I know other you know, some people don't feel this way. I'm glad he's the quarterback at Ohio State. Like there aren't many guys I'd trade him for. Um, truly. I mean, I think he's, I think there's some, and I think urban would agree that this it's pretty special to have him. And it gives you a nice sense of uh, calm knowing he's there. 
that everybody else has to do their part. And that gets to the second thing I wanted to discuss here off the top here is um, we were doing the television show today. And one of the we've been all fall, we've been doing the position groups uh, kind of depth chart, how each position group is going to break down. And today, one of the we did defensive line, which is just a gluttonous position. I mean, it's, <laughs> I don't even know how, you know, I don't know how guys are going to play. It's just so many guys. I mean, like Chase Young, who's just a beast, who's been a beast all camp and who all who gets number one, which has been something we've been talking about a lot in terms of what numbers they get and what the expectation is. Um, you know, I don't know how he plays. I mean, he might just be a guy who only plays on third down. Maybe that's it. But they got eight. They have an eight man legitimate rotation on the defensive line. It's, it's absolute madness. Uh, the other position group we talked about was running back. And Mike Weber, who um, very quietly had an 1,100-yard season with six yards of carry and nine touchdowns. I mean, just like right. the most quiet 1,100-yard season in the history of the program. I'm like, it was almost right. like, well, why isn't Mike Weber doing more? And I'm thinking, good grief, like what a year he had. He had a great yeah, year. While competing for, sure. for carries with guys like JT Barrett and Curtis Samuel, right? Yeah. Man, he had a year. Right. It, yeah. it didn't come out of nowhere. Like he was he was working hard for those yards. Yeah. And- if you look at it game by game, even the, you know, I think what happens is that sometimes people look at this statistically and they go, well, he, you know, he only had 60, 70 yards in this game. Well, he only had 12 carries. <laughs> like right. there's, there's only so much you can do with limited opportunities. So yeah, yeah, I think he definitely had a much better year than maybe people realize. I agree. Um, and so then, then that led us to, and this kind of all happened organically on the show today, but that led us into the talk of it. And of course uh, we were, had some sound from, uh, some interviews that we had done this week, and um, we talked a lot about J.K. Dobbins, who was also given number two. Right. And J.K. Dobbins, by the way, DeMario McCall is still in 30. And if you're a loyal <laughs> listener of the program, that tells you a lot. Right, yeah. Johnny? Remember we talked about this in the spring? Yes. Mario didn't right. want to wear 30, and he wanted out of it, and he's still in 30. And that tells you all <laughs> you need to know about what the coach's trust factor is in DeMario McCall. I want to tell you something, to J- though. Real quick about Demario McCall, and you're absolutely right about that, that he has maybe not gotten what he wanted. But they asked him about his position on the team, and he has mm-hmm. been saying all the right things. He's been yes. saying he relishes his position. He's excited yep. to be what he's doing. Like mm-hmm. I think he's handled that really, really well, and yep. I, I like that. I, that's a positive sign to me. He may not yep. get the single-digit number, but if he makes the most of his opportunity – and let's say J.K. Dobbs doesn't cut it. So, I mean, he looks great in practice. Yeah. Let's say it doesn't work out so hot in game time. Uh, he's still going to be there and, and have that opportunity. So I think he's handling it really well. I think that's great. He said all the right things, but yes. something happened between last spring and now that prevented him from getting a number change. That's all well, I'm that's, saying. And that's, because there were a lot of single digits. J.K. Dobbins, but, you know. Well, there's other, but there were other single digits that were available. Like Kendall Sheffield was a 10 and now he's an eight. Like there were, there were were digits that were available that were cooler than 30 and he's still stuck at 30. (laughs) Um, So there's something that that happened that didn't allow him to get a number change. Uh, But as for Dobbins, people just raved about this guy. And Urban said in the press conference, he said, look, we remember when Raekwon McMillan came in here and Raekwon McMillan was a man um, in the sense that not only could he play and physically he was you know, the way that he was, but also that he was mature, that he picked up the defense right away and he could be a contributor on a great team right away. And he said, that's what J.K. Dobbins has. He's come in here. That kid's ready to play and he's earned playing time. And uh, so it seems like he's pretty special and not just Urban saying this, all of his own peers, Antonio, all these guys, they were all saying, you know, how special he is. Mike Weber was saying how special he is. And it occurred to me that as I'm trying to, tr- in my mind's eye, envision how, because I have big concerns about the receivers, and I'm trying to think, okay, how's Ohio, what's going to be the, the what are they going to be offensively? 
We know they're going to play fast. Um, we know that JT is going to have a, be the trigger man running it and throwing it. But I started to think back to some of those Indiana teams that Kevin Wilson had right. and how well they ran it. And I think what you're going to see out of Ohio State is a rotation of Weber and Dobbins and JT running a lot of option out of the pistol and just running downhill. They have so many, they have four or five stars back on the offensive line. And I think they're just going to run right at you. And I think that will be how they establish uh, their, their force of what they are offensively. That will be their MO. And I, I think those two running backs are the key to it, along with JT, obviously. But in terms of last week we were on the show, we we're talking about, you and I remember we were talking about playmakers and where they're going to come at receiver and who's it going to be. And they're all unproven. I, I think it's coming from those two running backs. I think that the two of them, Mike Weber gets 15 to 20 carries. Dobbins gets 10 to 15, 10 to 12. JT carries it 15 times. I mean, heck, you're at 40-some carries there. Uh, you're well <laughs> on your way. Yeah. If they can, you know, if they can make everybody happy and make that work in concert, I'm totally cool with that. And I, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because I was kind of thinking the same thing with uh, regards to like the running game. You know, mm-hmm. Ohio State, this is, I think, back in what, like 2014, maybe this where, you know, they won pretty handily, but it was, it took until I think like the last, maybe the second half or the fourth quarter. Um, but I remember uh, it was, it was like, a huge Tevin Coleman had huge numbers against Ohio State, like over 200 mm-hmm. yards rushing, 225 yards rushing, uh, and just made him look foolish. And you know, again, Coleman's a great player and did some really good things for Indiana. But that really, every time you you saw Ohio State play Indiana, you understood that Kevin Wilson was able to get his players into exactly the right places that they needed to be, mm-hmm. and to yep. be able to open up that much yardage against Ohio State from Indiana a team that was like not good that year yeah. uh, it's really kind of remarkable especially when everybody's keyed in on him so if he can do some creative things in that regard I'll, I'll I'm all for it I'm totally buying that because uh, they got some guys who can run and I'm really really curious to see how uh, Wilson ends up scheming all that because it just yeah. feels like the past couple of years you've had all these weapons but no one's been able to bring them together yet and I want to see it yeah. I want to see what it looks like yeah, I think it could be really similar to, you know, his Indiana teams. I think it could be similar to some of those early, if you remember Oregon in the early part of Marcus Mariota's tenure before he was the competent passer that he became and right, yeah. Heisman Trophy winning level passer when they just relied on the run more so. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was Jamichael, uh, Michael James and I forget who the other back was, but they had two backs and they just ran like crazy at you. Um, I was a kid from, from Southern California. Why can I not remember? He was lightning fast. Now it's going to bug me. He was a huge recruit too. I remember he was like in Snoop Dogg's, Snoop Dogg's Pop Warner team or something. But, <laughs> you know, that, like that, I kind of think that maybe that's what Ohio State's going to be this year. A lot of tempo, mm-hmm. a lot of speed, a lot of running right at you. And, and with a three headed, you know, attack of those, those three guys primarily with, and if it's, if Dobbins isn't quite ready for the spotlight, well, gosh, there's other guys who can step in, but everything that you're hearing from camp is that he will be ready. Um, so that was something that kind of came organically that, and it, it finally crystallized man for me in my head, like, what are they going to be offensively? And it may change, but if I were to guess right now, I think that's what they'll be. You know what though? One of the things that I was thinking about, especially with the comments that, you know, urban, some other people are making about uh, Dobbins. Um, I wonder how much of that is also pressure on Weber to to make sure that he's ready for the season because you know there was yeah. a lot of talk about getting his hammy okay and you know sure. making sure you're ready for the opener and for me if I'm a coach and I want to make sure that you know my guy my starting running back the guy I'm presumably going to make my starting running back uh, yeah. is actually taking this seriously is that I give a little 
cred, you know, a little publicity to his uh, yeah. potential replacement. So I would believe I would I would tend to agree with that if it was only the coach, but this was across the board. That's true, and that, yeah, everybody I mean, was even Mike Weber himself right. is. We ran <laughs> sound from him today. Like he's like, look, he's special. I mean, he's so I I think I think the kid's just different. You know, I think he's just a little different and pretty special. So. Uh, it's a lot of weapons and thank goodness next, next Thursday, a week from the, a week from now, you know, next week, we're gonna be able to talk about a game and then we're going to get a game. So I can't wait to see some of these young dudes and, and see what this offense is going to look like with Wilson under the lights, uh, at Indiana. Um, if I didn't have three young children, I'd go to that game. Cause that would be a fun one to go to, uh, to say the least. You're going to make plans to go over there. I'm not, uh, no, no, you can't, you have school the next day, right? It's yeah, it's smack dab in the middle of the week. I gotta, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna watch the game, I'm gonna write after the game, and then I'm gonna get up yeah. and go to school and teach the entire day. So that'll that's be right. fun and teach the entire day. Yeah, so yeah. that's what you get to look so. to, which is nice. Yeah. Um, this is, this, is the, this is the portion of the show where we do uh, the Ask Us Anything. Do we have any this week, my friend? We do have some Ask Us Anything. Um, if okay. you guys would like to write into us, if you'd like to ask us anything, you can do that at dubcast at 11warriors.com um so we'll uh we'll get into that here so this is we'll start here with alvin um i thought it was kind of interesting he wants to know as part of the media uh do we prefer on-field passes or press box seats okay so this is simple for this than i do so i've done both a lot and uh it just this is a this is a two-part there's a two ways to answer this and i would just push the question back to alvin and i would just say it depends if you really want to know what's going on in the game or if you want to take in the atmosphere because if you want to take in the atmosphere, then being on the field, you can't replace that. I mean, that's spectacular. But if you want to watch the game, there's no place better to watch a football game than the press box. It's yeah. the best place to watch a football game because you can see everything. The, the thing that was the hardest thing for me to adjust to from after, geez, 15 years of watching every big time college game that I, of the teams I covered in a press box to the last two years watching them primarily on television is I miss the press box camera. You know, seeing from my with my own eyes from a press box because right. you can see when guys break open. I, I would be able, in the press box. I can tell you on television. I can't tell you if JT Barrett is missing guys because it's never wide enough. Right. I, you can't see a receiver run open. You can't see what happened on television. And from a press box, you can see everything. And you would sit back there, and you know, I remember the like the Joe Bozerman year. Like in the press box, just going, my God, what is going on down there? It's crazy. <laughs> um, so really to answer his question, the best way to do it, and this is what I did after after many years of experience of, of navigating, you know, football stadiums and field and press box and back and forth, is if you can go from the be- at the beginning of the game up until, you know, through national anthem on the field, you get the juice mm-hmm. of the environment. And then you go up to the press box for the game. And then you go down to the field. They always let media down to the field, like in the fourth quarter with five minutes right. to go. Yep. If you go down, then you can watch the end of the game on the field. That's really the best way to do it. So I, I agree with that. And I only did the press box twice uh, before we had beat writers. I did a couple games from the press box and I mm-hmm. did a little summaries and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I mean, you got free food. There's hot dogs and DQ, DQ blizzards, at least when I went. That was fun. Still are. Well, there were when I was there. Actually, it was <laughs> yeah. also a city barbecue. Yeah. So we didn't, I, did, I got, I got, I got screwed over on that because I didn't get city barbecue. It was just yeah. hot dog stand, DQ blizzards, but I had 
or no, they were McDonald's blizzards. Excuse me. McDonald's. Um, yeah. McDonald's McFlurries. Yeah, that's right. That's McFlurries. Right. I had like five of those, um, <laughs> I ate like six or seven hot dogs. Right. Really taking my job extremely seriously. Right. Um, but it's, no, it's, it's really cool to be in the press box. And it's, as you said, I love the view. You get to see the entire field all at yeah. once. You can see plays develop. You, you learn, right. I think more about the game being there because you're constantly being fed stats all the time. Everybody gets like, you know, updates as the game is going on. That's right. Uh, which is really great. And I also, I mean, I've been on the field a couple times. I got some on-field passes last year before the game started. And that was just really exciting. You get to mm-hmm. see all these, you know, old coaches who are around, even NFL guys are there. It's really fun. Uh, but I, I think my most memorable thing that happened to me when I did that, when I was in the press box, was I think it was uh, against EMU. <laughs> we were playing okay. Eastern Michigan. It was yeah. ridiculous. It was a ridiculous blowout. I think Ohio State won by, God, I don't know, 60-some points. It was yeah. it was ridiculous. And uh, I got to get down there, and I got to see Kenny Guyton, uh, I think, score his first collegiate touchdown. <laughs> and it was incredible. Like, yeah. the, the crowd had kind of thinned out, and people weren't that interested. But the team lost their minds, yeah. uh, including Terrell Pryor. I mean, everybody was just so ecstatic and excited for this guy. And I got mm-hmm. to see that, like, right at, like, feet away. And it was incredible. Yeah. It was one of my favorite things I've ever done uh, with Ohio State sports. And uh, it was it was awesome. So yeah, I love the experience of being able to see the entire game. But you really can't replicate that kind of energy on the field. No. So I think that's pretty awesome. No. So, yeah, that's a good question from Alvin. Uh, this one's from uh, Chadwick here. Uh, this is, this is interesting. Uh, on a business trip, I had drunk conversations, uh, with a PSU grad and then a UM grad. Uh, the PSU guy was kind of a jerk. Uh, Mac from Kalamazoo was a great dude. Both trips to the bar had a great time. Uh, and basically says, does he need a counselor or does he need a priest? In other words, is, should he feel dirty for having this kind of incredible, uh, interaction, uh, with no. these, with a PSU fan and a UM fan? No, I don't. You, th- I mean, I'll let you as an alumni, you would be more apt to answer this than me. Yeah. So I'll let you take the first swing. No, you shouldn't feel bad. Look, the, these people are not evil. If they're willing to break bread with you and, and have a drink with you and, and have a good time, it doesn't matter what fandom they support. And as long as the PSU guy doesn't want to keep the Joe Pa statue up, but as long as the UM guy isn't trying to lord his degree over you, it doesn't matter. It's totally fine. So yeah, have fun with whoever you want. Variety is the spice of life. You find people that are interesting all over the place. I mean, I've got friends who've gone to UM. It, I don't wretch when I talk to them. It's it's fine. I think it's totally fine. So Yeah, I actually think, like, who else would understand you as an Ohio State fan than a Michigan fan or a Penn State fan? Right. I mean, they're the yeah. most like you, right? I mean, they're the most – your schools are the most like. Your football programs are the most like. Um, despite having these great, you know, especially with obviously with Michigan, the rivalry, but even Penn State's become a good one the last 20 years. Um, and even before that, I think they probably stared at each other from across state lines and kind of admired what each one was doing uh, on the field only, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it makes total sense. And um, no, it's cool. I, you know, because I didn't because I did not attend Ohio State and because I did not grow up here, I don't have like a burning hatred for Michigan the way that that other people do. Uh, I root for them when Ohio state isn't playing them. I'm, I'm one of the guys who thinks it's cool when they're both 11 and Oh, like that's yeah. me. Um, right. I want them both great. And then I want us, you know, I want Ohio state to win obviously, but, but I, I like you it when they're both great. Right. Yeah. I mean, I love that Harbaugh's there and he's got him rolling and recruiting and, but then I love that urban beats him every year. So, I mean, it's <laughs> to me, that's what makes it great. That's, you know what? So Chad, so that's where I am. 
I feel yeah, the same way I, about Penn State, by the way. I think it's great right. that Franklin's recruiting like crazy there. Um, and and that they, they got it, you know, on the way back. I mean, I think that's great. And it uh, what I want and is a is a healthy Big Ten. And because right. the coolest thing that I covered in sports was a the little bit that I covered the SEC in the mid to late two thousands when when like there were four games a year and you went, Wow. I mean, holy smokes. Like Florida with Urban going to LSU. Uh, when Miles was there and then having to play Bama in the SEC title game, like, geez, those were just haymaker games, just one right. after another. And and I want that in the Big Ten, and I think we're headed for it. Yeah, well, and it's all about coaching and finding the right mm-hmm. guys who yeah. can build up you those bet. programs. And the Big Three and the Big Ten, I think, have some pretty good guys at the helm to try yes. to set that up. So despite despite what maybe the rest of the Big Ten is uh, currently undergoing, I think, you know, the three up top are pretty solid. Yes. Uh, so Chadwick's got a bunch of other questions. I'm I'm going to save a couple of these for okay. later use because I think they're pretty good. But I'm going to, I don't know. I want to ask this one last one because this one's pretty funny. Okay. And I don't know how familiar you are with, uh, do you ever go to MGO blog at all? I'm familiar with it, but I, I don't frequent. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, and the, <laughs> there's a reason for that because, and they're, they're working on it. They're, you know, Brian over there is trying to get a little uh, more technologically advanced, uh, but they've been using pretty much the same format since I want to say maybe like, 2003 um it's 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 pretty web 1.0 uh but he asks uh would you rather wear a denard robinson jersey every day for a year or have 11 warriors uh use mgo blogs theme for the same amount of time (laughs) (laughs) i would wear the you know what because here's the thing i not only would i gleefully put on the denard robinson jersey because i like you know i i don't really dislike Denard that much. Like it would be horrible having to wear the UM color. That's terrible. Uh, but Denard <laughs> Robinson's a cool guy. But yeah, not only would it be a mark of shame to have to go back to like whatever right. whatever primordial ooze code is 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 operating on the site. But man, it would really hurt our bottom line. Oh, like, I don't I don't know that I want to take that hit in Google AdSense. So. Yeah, uh, I will. I will take the hit for the team. I will wear that mark of shame right. to ensure that eleven warriors can continue to grow. That's right. rough. Um, yeah, I would not. <laughs> I don't know about that one. I'll defer to um, you to that one. You have a better feel of their uh, of their uh, lack of uh, technology than I do. I really don't ever go to the site. And and MGO blog. Look, Brian and, and and you know Ace and all those guys who work over there. They work their butts off. They're really good guys. Uh, and they're working on making that site, you know, a little more, you know, 2017. So more power to them. I'm, I'm excited to see what they come up with because it's always good when, you know, there's a really good oh, geez. engaging Michigan site to kind of counter, you know, 11 Warriors and a really good engaging Ohio State site. So I'm cool with it. I, and I, I wish I just pulled it up. Not, yeah, I'm not trying to crap on them too much. They, they you know, yeah, that's work hard. Um, yeah, they got a long way. That's I just pulled it up right now. This is the first time I've been on it. Yeah. Okay. They'll yeah, get there. Not uh, last one here. This one's from James. And um, he basically, so he asked about uh, journalism and, and, you know, how we kind of react to games and things like that last week. Mm-hmm. And he said it made him uh, reconsider some of his assumptions about journalism and fandom. So we we changed a few hearts and minds, Bo. I'm excited about that. Uh, oh, good. Yeah. His question here is, though, uh, for this week, is whether Wisconsin, due to their consistency for the past 20 years, has secretly bypassed Michigan as a football program due to UM's lack of consistency. If not, is there anything the Badgers could do short of winning a national title that would change it? So has has Wisconsin ussurped Michigan's spot overall no. in the football? They game? did for a while. 
Yeah. Wisconsin, to me, Wisconsin football as a villain, as a rival, Wisconsin athletics, because basketball too, um, Mm -hmm. you know, hit its ceiling in like 2010, 11, 12. Um, When they had Bielema and they had Bo Ryan, they were, I hated them worse than Michigan because Michigan was inept. So (laughs) it, it didn't even matter. I mean, Wisconsin took stuff from us, right? I mean, they beat us in basketball and in football when it mattered. Uh, Michigan didn't do that. So, I mean, Michigan was irrelevant for the early part of my time in Columbus covering Ohio State. So, um, whereas Wisconsin was not. And and you couldn't hate Brady Hoke, you know? I mean, he's Fred Flintstone crushed Tommy Boy. Like, he was just a clown. I mean, he he wasn't worthy of hatred. You could hate Brett Bielema. Yeah. Don't get – you could hate him. This guy was the perfect villain. Um, so Wisconsin, Wisconsin did it. I mean, they were it. They had a three or four year window there, two thousand, you know, nine, ten through whenever Bielema left, where they were, and it ended, you know, when Ohio State with Cardale Jones put like one hundred and twenty on them uh, in the Big Ten championship game. That was the end of it. But they had a run there where they were a worthy adversary and the chief rival in the Big Ten conference of Ohio State, without question, both both basketball and football. Yeah, you know why? Because they, because they had an identity. Because I remember seeing all of oh, those yeah. running backs, that line of running mm-hmm. backs, every single one after another, year being yeah. terrifying. Anthony Davis, Brian Calhoun, Monte Ball, James White, mm-hmm. all these guys. Just every single year, didn't matter mm-hmm. who they were or what offensive line they were lining up behind. You knew that they had a chance against Ohio State because they had a running yeah. back who would do something crazy. Uh, that's awesome. Like that's a cool thing yeah. to have to try to fight against and to, and to beat on the you know on the football field. So. I, I really enjoyed the Wisconsin games. Uh, apart yeah. from the Michigan games, those were always the games uh, that I get hyped up the most for. And you know, their crowd is really, I don't want to say they're good in a moral sense, but they're definitely good in a villain sense, in the sense that you want to make them sad and unhappy because they're that you know, passionate and insane. Um, secretly, this is, this is my secret shame, uh, one of my all-time favorite youtube videos related to college football to watch and i've probably seen this i probably rewatch it 20 or 30 times that's not an exaggeration is uh the wisconsin uh student section singing build me up buttercup you know what i mean <laughs> and they do an acapella like they're singing and they're not like yeah. chanting a couple of the lines like a lot of these fans yeah, you they know, know it. they know the entire damn thing and they yeah. sing it all the way through and it's like it's beautiful it's one of those really great sports things to watch um I, they're great. They're, they're a really great villain to, to play against. I think Michigan is back up to prominence because of Jim Harbaugh. Uh, but I think James got a really good question there. I, I think for the, yeah. the late part of the last decade, they were it. They were really, they really were. high up there. So I mean, and Bo Ryan looked like an actual Badger. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. I mean, he looked like an actual Badger, and he was he, just an awful human being. Yeah. So, like, him, him and him and Bielema and, you know, we, I actually got, we were, I don't know if I've told you this story before. We were sitting outside the Rose Bowl after Ohio State beat Oregon, um, whenever the heck that was with Jeremiah Masoli and Pryor had the best game he ever played as a Buckeye. And, mm-hmm. um, and we're at, we were at Channel 10 and we had set up a set outside the stadium and it was the next day. This was the game was played, whatever nights, whatever the next day was. And we were getting ready to do wall to wall sports, which is a program we do it. We used to at Channel 10 and Brett Bielema and his current wife, come walking towards us and they walk right they're walking right into the stadium and he stopped and bs'd with us for probably 20 minutes 
That's awesome. And was like the coolest guy ever. Like was just such a down to earth, cool, no ego, just a great dude. And um, but I still hated him when they played. Like he was a, just a great enemy. Yeah. Um, and I miss him. I mean, I miss him a ton. I wish he was. It's just you know he's never going to do anything at Arkansas. Like he could have really done something at Wisconsin. And I'm sure he got a lot more money at Arkansas and its climate's better and so forth. But um, he's never going to do anything in the SEC West. And and he could have built like a Western Big Ten West power at Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, they all the they've basically got everything set up. If if you're a good steward of that program to do some really interesting things and to to be you're not you're not going to be a top tier. You know, you're not going to be Alabama, you're not going to be Ohio State, but you can be a really solid second tier yeah. program. You can win the Rose Bowl. You, that's right. You win Rose Bowls. You go out. You make your name. You you beat SEC teams. Mm-hmm. You can do that kind of stuff. And they're still doing that, right? They're still doing like, that. Paul Chris does a, a nice lot, job, right? A lot of people didn't give them a lot of chance against LSU last year, and they went out and did it. Um, so I, you know, it's a cool program, and I I hope they continue to be successful because they're they're definitely fun to play against. Um, yes, yeah, they are. I don't probably get as passionate about them as I do maybe Penn State. Uh, or obviously Michigan, but or even like Michigan State anymore for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm you know? yeah, I'm with you on that. All right, yeah. so that's ask us anything. Thank you guys for writing in. Please continue to do so, especially as the season ramps up, because uh, you know, I, I just I like being this font of knowledge for <laughs> for really <laughs> well, weird off the wall questions. Well, well. Speaking of that, this is the part of the show where we talk about uh, the Game of Thrones. Um, yes. So if you have not watched the last episode of Game of Thrones, or if you don't care about the show, which is fine, um, this would be the end of the show for you. Um, for those of you that have, and those of you who have seen the episode, uh, this will be... Um, I, one thing I'd like about this from an analysis standpoint is I come from this from a strictly a show watcher standpoint. And mm-hmm. I, would, I would describe myself as an avid show watcher. Right. And um, in terms of I really... I've been in on this thing from jump street. Like I've loved it from the beginning. I've devoured it. I've probably seen it through, uh, boy, the first four or five episodes seasons. I've probably seen through four or five times. Um, so, and you have devoured the books. So yes. I, I, th- I think that there's some good analysis here. Okay. So let's, I'm going to, I'm going to let you lead off this one okay. because I've, I've let off the last two. So give me your thoughts on, on, on the, to date. Now the one, the season finale, which is this sat uh, Sunday will be the longest episode in game of Thrones history. I believe what we saw last Sunday was the second longest and there was a lot going on. There was a ton going on and I, I've got some issues with this episode. I, I like most people, I enjoy the action and, and all the, the intrigue and the drama mm-hmm. and everything that's built up that that's never not thrilling and never, not fun for me to watch. Um, and I actually don't have a problem with really the timeline stuff that they were, a lot of people complained about where it's like, well, they're, you know, they got to get a Raven down there and then Danny's got to go all the way back. And, you know, does the timing work out and they're fudging that that's not something I had a problem with either. What I was kind of worried about in the episode, which I still generally liked was mm-hmm. that they seem to be setting up an easy ish, or at least a, a very clean victory for Jon Snow and the forces of life and all this stuff like that. The key moment in this episode, the, the moment that made me kind of groan to myself was when they're trying to capture that, that white Walker, that white or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, and they kill the, the general guy, they kill the Lieutenant and then mm-hmm. all the other white walkers just collapse. All the whites just yep. collapse. And then they make the mm-hmm. comment, well, Hey, if you kill the one that turned them, then they all die. 
Right. And little that too made easy. me like internally like like just scream because they're like, no, it can't be that easy. If you just kill the Knights King and then it, you win, like that's a terrible way to end the series. Like I would hate that. The, the whole well, point to be about, fair, <laughs> he's going to be pretty tough. To sure, kill. But, but I'm saying, I isn't mean, that, that to me? That's <laughs> like in Lord of the Rings, where you know, at the end of Lord of the Rings, right? You toss the ring yeah. into the volcano, you win. Right. That's really clean and easy. Game of Thrones has always been right. A song of ice and fire that everything related to this has always been about how it's never that easy. It's never that simple. And it shouldn't be. You shouldn't just be able to kill an ice king and say, we won. That's that's to me, that's really cheap. And I really, really hope that's not the direction that the series is going, Um, because it's got to be. There's a decent chance we are. I know. Um, And that's and that's what if you look at like the. if you look at some of the interviews from the beginning of the series that George R. R. Martin gave, um, I th- either Benehoff or the other guy whose name escapes me, uh, Weiss, I think, is it D.B. Weiss, yeah. David Benehoff, the guys who yeah. were doing it? Um, they they talked with Martin early on in the, in season one where they really didn't know where it was all. Every, they didn't know where it was going. I mean, nobody knew at that point. And um, and Martin said, uh, you know, that Danny and John are, you know. This whole thing's about them, essentially. Right. Like he's basically said that. So um, I think we're headed for that. Um, um, that that's clearly where we're headed. But I think there's going to be a lot of blood along the way. Um, so I, I wish they wouldn't have said. Like I, one thing that that bugged me about the line that you talked about about is that I wish that like I figured that out on my own. I yeah. didn't need him to say yeah, it. You didn't like, need that explained to you. No, Game of Thrones doesn't need to be. It's never been that obvious. Right. You know, it's always been something you really had to work for to pay attention to. Yeah. And so I didn't need it explained to me. And that makes um, it more fun to watch because you're yeah, thinking right. about it. You figure yeah. it out on your own. You go, hey, did you notice this? Oh, this, you know. Right. So that's part of it, right? Um, exactly. So as soon as the show ended on Sunday, um, I do the three things after Ohio State football games and some other things. I, I've been doing it for 10 years probably on social media. So I did one for the, for the, for the episode because there was just so much going on. Um, so the, it's funny because my initial reaction is different than it is now. So I'm gonna, I'll go through these and then let's just kind of, so the first thing I said was, is John, is John Snow the biggest dummy, seemingly immortal hero in history? Custer had better planning. So <laughs> yeah. like John Snow is an idiot, right? Yeah, he is an absolute dolt. There's n- he, everything he did was just stupid um, to go get one of these Walker, not, not a Walker wits or weights or whatever, the, whatever these things are. Like what a White. stupid plan. A yeah. white. Okay. It's just stupid. Like there's just why would you do that? Why would you take seven guys on foot? No horses. Like just dumb. Like just a stupid plan. And then when Danny shows up, like he clearly has a death wish. Like he's and then he can't die. So why does you know she's on the dragon we're going, get on, you idiot. Like clearly <laughs> get on. And he's still trying to fight off these whites or wits, whatever they are. And I'm yeah. going, This is stupid. Like he's just an idiot. Like it's hard for the hero to be so stupid. Like he's heroic, but he's just a moron. And th- this whole that whole plan was just stupid. Um, right. So I had a problem with that. All right, the Night King, and this is where I'm going to lean on you. This was my second second thing. Okay. Like, so he j- I'll lean on you on this because I don't I don't have a a good you have a better handle of the history. So he just happens to have an ice javelin, <laughs> and then furthermore, he just happens to have chains that can pull a dragon out of the bottom of a frozen lake. From what I, have I can no tell, information which can explain any of that. I'm okay, so the, like the walking skeletons can't go in the water. How did they chain up the dragon? 
Right. Where'd they get these giant tra- chains that apparently takes all of them to haul to haul this dragon out? Yeah, like I it have, seemed like I've, a cheat. To I me. have no, I have no information that can help you there whatsoever. <laughs> that's, that's Doesn't it seem like a cheat? Yeah, it is. It is. It really is. And what's irritating is that you don't even have to do that. Like, I, I get that you want to have the cool dramatic shot at the end of this, at the end of the episode, but he doesn't like the, the dragon doesn't fall in the water. It's no. somewhere else. So you don't have to worry about it. Like, Absolutely. that's literally all you have to do to just fall on the side of a hill. Right. Exactly. Why you? Why did you bring giant chains into this? Yeah. So I. You Where'd know, you get and them? And that's and the my ice javelin. Concern. Why does he and, have an ice javelin? And I don't he, know. Okay, so can you answer me this? Why yeah. did he know how to deal with dragons? That so now that actually might have some textual uh, okay. like basis because one of the things I mean, the books seem to have the same explanation or will have the same explanation that the show does for the creation of uh, the Night's King and all that, and that they were created by the children of the forest, and um, right. they were you know. They were fighting against the first men. Eventually, the Targaryens invaded from Essos. So, there. The idea is that if if these you know night you know the, these these ice zombie guys the, the you know the Night's King and everyone else, if these are basically weapons created to fight against invaders, then it's plausible that they would understand and know what a dragon could do and and how to fight against them because they would have that kind of knowledge and they've seen it happen before. So that's possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. that, that is, that is somewhat plausible. They haven't really explained any of that in the show, but I think that is a plausible explanation for why, because they, it's possible they fought against them before. Um, here's, okay. I want to, I want to tell but you They haven't been seen for a hundred, hundreds of years, dragons. Yeah. Right. So, you know, and he just was at the ready. Like there, there was, this is the mistake they're making with these, with these Night King guys and the White Walkers mm-hmm. is because they are frozen, whatever the hell they are. Um, they, they, there's no emotion to them. So right. like. All of a sudden, they have Jon Snow surrounded with their boys, and every and it's all over. And then all of a sudden, freaking dragons show up, and there's not even like a reaction, like from one of them, like "Oh hell!" <laughs> like, yeah, they're just kind of like. I mean, he just calmly kinda... grabs a giant ice spear and javelin throws the thing out of the sky. Meantime, he could have just hit the dragon who's laying on the ice in front of him, and we've <laughs> taken out Danny and all of them. And instead, he goes yeah. for like the higher degree of difficulty. So that whole thing was just um okay let me a couple more i want to get through so losing the dragon and it was this it's the one that's named after her brother yes right that's the dragon that dies yeah okay so that's appropriate because he was just an awful human so now now that now this is if if the whole point of this was just to get the night king a dragon so he could fly over the wall i guess they've done it i mean that was i'm guessing that's the whole point that's why they did that that's that's it yeah Okay, so, so he's going to fly over the wall now. Now we're going to have to deal with an ice dragon that's going to shoot ice, I presume. Or something. I don't, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, all right. Um, so this one I'm, I was really wrong on, and I, I initially put this right after the episode. I said, I'm not entirely convinced that's actually Arya. Maybe someone from Bravos who's not pleased with her doesn't fit her character. Mm-hmm. Um, what I've come to, around to is, is the belief that Arya and Sansa are in this together. That this is a oh. big, giant, clever ruse to take out Littlefinger. It's got to be. I there is yeah. no way. There's no character that neither of their characters would line up with this. No, no. I yeah. I'm I'm 100 with you on that. That was my first thought too. I was like, this is they're doing this for Littlefinger's benefit. To mm-hmm. you know, if he's sneaking around and he's keeping an eye on him, he's trying to do stuff. They're gonna have public fights. They're gonna do all this other crap to yeah. convince him that he's safe, and then they're gonna kill him because yeah. I don't. Has to be. Yeah. There's no way that. 
this doesn't go badly for Littlefinger. Um, I that that yeah. to me was just way too obvious and how telegraphed some of their anger was and all this other stuff. Like I just mm-hmm. I didn't buy that. Um, I think it'll be cool once he gets his comeuppance. But yeah, I don't. Yeah. Especially with uh, Brienne being sent south, like that's why she did that to right. to remove her from the the playing field. Like she she knows that Littlefinger is using Brienne as a you know pawn to try to like you know drive a wedge between the sisters. So mm-hmm. Sansa sends her south, deals with that, and now they're going to try to corner Littlefinger, which is assume well, I assume what they're going to do in the next episode. So I would um, think, but then they they only have six episodes left after the next episode. Right. So like I don't know that you can get rid of Littlefinger. Like you have to have conflict somewhere it can't just be these walkers who are these nameless faceless no emotional things you know right so they've got to be something there uh the last thing i would say is is this whole idea that they had to prove to cersei to me just seems so stupid because okay she has the she's not gonna care (laughs) no of course she's not gonna care and and now you're going into king's landing like this is gonna end bad for somebody someone's clearly gonna die at king's landing at the hands of cersei that's definitely gonna happen um and I just think, like, what a waste of time. Like, you don't need, she, her armies are just, there's hardly anything left of them. You, you've no already in the castles. Right. Like I pointed out last week, no one's in these castles. Like, forget it. You've got, <laughs> you've got Unsullied, Dothraki, all of the north. We've got two dragons left. We've mined a lot of dragonstone that Gendry can make into weapons. Like, this is going to be the best we can do. We do not need an extra 30,000 Lannisters uh, or whatever's left of their fleet. I mean, that's the only, it's them and, you're on Greyjoy. Big deal. Like, yeah. mo- forget it. So I don't understand that either. That being so, said, all of that being said, it's just spectacular theater. Oh yeah. Like the 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 interactions between the you know the posse that goes out, like all oh. the dialogue, everything with the hounds. Right. You know, Jorah talking to John about his dad. All that stuff is just great. You know, like you said, great theater. The dialogue's hilarious. Um. I love the hound just like nonchalantly just tossing rocks yeah. at these white just, walkers. And by the way, one of the biggest mistakes in the history of mistakes. <laughs> that was so stupid. Like, uh, by the way, can I, okay, I want to I want to tell you something real quick. So this is this is some this may be a little bit of like inside ball mm-hmm. and stuff, but um, so here's the thing. Okay, in the books, where we're at in the books right now is we are very far behind the show. But mm-hmm. in the books, Stannis is outside of Winterfell. Okay, there's okay. a huge snowstorm going on. His men are completely bogged down. He's in this tiny little okay. village with like five or seven buildings. And okay. next to the village is a lake. And his men are starving. Like they have no food. They're, they're stuck. Mm-hmm. So what they've done is that they have um, basically been ice fishing for like several weeks. And in the middle of this lake is a, an island. And on that okay. island is a... Uh, one of those uh it's it's the the trees right they've got one of the the weirwood trees okay. so a theory that's been developed by a lot of people who read the books and pay close attention is that what stannis is going to do in this battle is he is essentially going to try to lure ramsay and the boltons out of winterfell pretend to be like because remember there's snow all over the place they can't see the lake and remember the boltons right. don't know about this area very well so right. his his plan that some people are hypothesizing is that he's going to lure them to this area by um, pretending to burn Theon Greyjoy who is currently his captive and okay. in doing so they're going to try to get at him and they're going to walk on this lake and they're all going to fall on this lake because it's full of holes from this ice fishing now okay 
this has been a theory that's been been kicked around for like two years now that people have been okay. thinking about and how this how this battle of Winterfell is going to play out. And a lot of people have kind of dismissed all this after Stannis died against uh, Ramsey, you know, in the show, mm-hmm. and kind of forgot about it. But I was thinking about that in the last episode because that is almost yeah. exactly what happens. And if that happens in the books, I will be so so happy because George R. R. Martin's been making a lot of changes, and that to me would be pretty hilarious. So I, I was a small part of me, that really tiny part, was so excited about how that played out because if that's what happens in the books with uh, Ramsey? I'm gonna, I'm just gonna laugh my ass off because that's that's great. That would be so. Theoretically, there would be no Battle of the Bastards. Possibly not. Possibly not. That would be crazy. That would be nuts. I mean, I wonder. That that will be an interesting conversation for George and and the fans of it and everything because you have to think that that he told them how this was going to end. I know they've taken liberties and they've left stuff out and whatever. Um, but you have to feel like it has the same end game. And if, sure. he is, no, and if I don't, it doesn't, I don't. then he'd have to really rewrite. Because I feel like, you know, he had to tell him, look, guys, this is where we're headed. I feel like that right. had to be part of it. No, um, I don't think, I think Stannis, I don't think anybody thinks that Stannis is going to survive the next book. But I think a lot of people also don't think that Ramsey will either. And I, I think a lot of people believe that they'll just take each other out. The other thing is, is that there's a couple other theories. There's one called the Grand North Northern Conspiracy. Um, and it's based on um, this guy who only appears on the show for like, I don't know, a scene when they're declaring Jon Snow, the King in the North, he mm-hmm. he's, there. he's Wyman Manderley. And in the books, he's this oafish, monstrously fat, cowardly kind of guy. And then he captures Davos and he kind of reveals that Davos this is all a ruse. Um, he's actually a incredibly cunning, morbidly obese guy who has been planning for years to take down the Boltons. Um, mm-hmm. because they killed one of his sons at the Red Wedding. And basically where the books leave off, like as of the most recent book, is that Wyman is in Winterfell with his troops, basically like in the phrase and the Boltons, basically threatening all of them, like kind of under his breath and making all these illusions about how he's going to kill them. And uh, so there's tons of tension in Winterfell as Stannis's army is right on the gates and about to attack. So it's it's a really tense, crazy situation. Some people believe that Stannis will be successful and defeat the Boltons, and then the North, all the combined Northern houses, will just kill Stannis because they're, they don't want yeah. him to be in charge. They only want to start. Um, I think that'd be a much cooler way to resolve uh, what's going on in the North than how the show did it. But obviously, you know, expediency, you got to, you know, it's harder to do that when you've you've got ten episodes in a season. To, to plot yeah, I, I I think the, I think what if there's I mean it's the best thing I've ever seen on television. It's the most ambitious thing I've ever seen on television. I mean it's just it's you know you're nitpicking. It's still so enjoyable. Sure, um, yeah, no, it's it's great. The only thing I would say is like if they let's say at the beginning of this you had infinite money, you'd say okay we're going to do this for ten seasons, ten episodes a season because there's enough. I mean it's mm-hmm. clearly enough. I mean, the, the the last three episodes, the amount of things that they've jammed into three episodes, oh. it, it's a whole season. It's an entire season. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. think about all the time we wasted Arya in Bravos getting oh, beat God. up. I mean, on yeah. horseback. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we just wasted, spun our tires in. In the meantime, like, we're doing huge plot points in an hour. Huge. Right. I mean, huge developments. Battles that should take that the buildup should be two episodes, or because in you know, in season one and two would have been two episodes. Two episodes are being fought, won, decided, and on to the next. I mean, High Garden was six minutes. <laughs> I mean, right? 
you know, so half of that there's was so was much and, and the queen of thorns talking with each other. Yeah. I mean, there's so much that, that I feel like what happens is though, is you just, they probably it's so expensive to do this show. Yes. Um, and it's, you know, the, it's just the scale of it is so enormous that they had to, you know, they, they just had to be done with it. Like they just couldn't keep doing this expensive a show. Um, especially now that the, you know, the actors are making so much money now, it just probably doesn't make sense to keep doing it, but, um, right. boy, it's, it's unbelievable. And now we're down to seven episodes left, you know, and we're probably gonna have to wait at least a year for the last six. I mean, oh, at I least think a year. It's something like the next season won't premiere until like the end of 2018. Um, yeah, would- I would bet they either drop it. Typically with something like this, they would either, you'd wait, you're either knowing how television programming works. They'll probably wait till like January, 2019. That'd be yeah. my guess. That wouldn't shock me at all. That, that they would I, wait till I January 2019. Yeah. yeah, because they they you know that would where they'd get the biggest bang for their buck. You don't want to ever drop anything like in the fall during football season or during right. like um you know you'd want to get maybe you'd even do February 2019 like after the NFL's done on Sunday nights and it's you mm-hmm. know you can kind of own six weeks of February early March. That would be my guess was when they drop it. Yeah. So we got a ways yeah. to go. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. That's I mean you a long you know, ways off after this is. You know, I haven't watched it all the way through in probably four years, three or four years. So, I mean, I would do that over the next year and a half by the time this is done. Is I would, I would start from scratch on it, or maybe I'll read the books. Um, I, I might, I, I, I might really enjoy not. that. They're, they're, they're extremely long, but they're really readable, and especially if you have a good background knowledge from watching the show. Yeah, uh, the, the cast of characters is is challenging. It's really difficult. But if you already have some, you know, background information about it, you already know who a lot of these characters are. It makes it a lot easier to read. Um, yeah. But they're they're fun. They're really fun books to read, and there's some really great writing in a lot of them. Is there any update? Like, does he have a book anytime soon? No. I mean, he he said, uh, I think about a month ago, that he was hoping to get out two books. Like, he's wor- he always works on these little side projects, and one of them is, I think, related to Game of Thrones in general, and then the other one, of course, is uh, his next book. Um, and he said he hoped to have two books out in 2018, which could mean either he gets, you know, he's, he's saying he wants to get one, but he hopes he gets two. So in other words, yeah. he could just put out the one that's not the next book and then say, well, we'll have to push 2019. Uh, but yeah, this has been the there. longest he's wait. Hurry up. Yeah. This has been the longest wait. And I, I mean, I think it's going to be probably. I don't know. I, I can't even predict, but it's going to be probably early next year before, you know, he gets yeah. close. So it's going to be a while. Yeah. All right. So just say, I mean, we did like 35 minutes on Game of Thrones. Just think about like next week, we have a game week and the season finale. It's possible <laughs> this would be a two hour dub cast. It's possible. Drive yourself in, guys. It'll be good. Yeah. Buckle in, kids. Buckle in. All right, buddy. Good stuff. Yep. Absolutely. We'll see you next week.